Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Last week, I had the honor of being featured on Attitude Magazine's webinar series. I talked about helping our kids and ourselves get past the wall of awful. If you'd like to hear the replay, check out the link in the show notes. Next week, I have the honor of being part of the Executive Function Online Summit, which will run from Friday, August 23rd through Sunday, August 25th. In addition to myself, you'll also hear from folks like Michael Delman of Beyond Booksmart, Dana Abraham of Calm the Chaos, and Peter Shankman of the Faster Than Normal podcast. That link, of course, is also in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that the best way to support this show is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So let your friends on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram know that we exist, or just go tell your friends and family in the real world. And don't forget to throw up that five-star rating and review on iTunes. In fact, go do it now. Those ratings and reviews are a huge benefit to this show. It helps others find us and keeps us in the feed. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Seth Perler. Seth has dedicated his life to helping kids overcome their challenges so they can live great lives. He does this by teaching the world about executive function. Unsurprisingly, he's also the founder of the Executive Function Online Summit. In today's episode, Seth and I talk about the resistance our kids can experience when faced with a task. Major shifts coming from millions of little successes, the Executive Function Online Summit, of course, and the importance of our relationships with our kids. All right, let's get rolling. Yeah, I'm an executive function coach based out of Boulder, Colorado. So when I started doing the executive function coaching, I had been teaching for 12 years and my specialty was 2E kids and twice exceptional kids, gifted and talented kids. And I really enjoyed working with kids who struggled with executive function, with ADHD and other struggles in general. And I, I really am someone who I didn't really care what somebody's diagnosis was. I really wanted to help human beings who were suffering because I knew that that was something that I was good at. But basically, as a coach, I started in 2010 and I started blogging and I had, I had left 12 years of teaching and, and I'm just focusing my methodologies on how can I be of service to the kid who's struggling. Parents would seek me out who had a kid who wasn't being successful in school, whatever that means. That can be defined very differently, but generally they're struggling with grades, getting stuff turned in. What I found uh, over time in doing this is that all students that I got in my coaching practice struggled with one thing. They all struggle with resistance in various ways. So that's the box, resistance. Now, inside that box, different types of resistance. You have procrastination, lack of motivation. You have excuses. You have all, all of these for uh, not accepting help from their parents, not wanting to advocate for themselves and tell the teacher that they need help, yada, yada. It's anytime they're struggling, it's all under that umbrella of resistance, at least in, in my mind. 
when I started discovering uh, that all the kids that I was working with, the one thing that they had in common is they struggled with executive function. That was like opening Pandora's box for me. And I, it just explained so many things that I had been uh, looking at with kids who were struggling for years as a teacher. But when I finally figured out that these all fit under executive function, it really helped me help families. So as a coach, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a student or a family like I, I'm, uh, you know, if we're trying to serve a kid, it's best if the parents are involved. <laughs> and they don't always know that they need to be involved or how deeply they need to be involved. But we really need buy in and ownership from the parents to participate. But um, what I'm trying to do with a family or with a student is get them from point A to point B. Now, point A is a point where the parents are concerned. They're looking at their kid. They're like, if my kid doesn't figure this out, it's not going to be good. And they're not listening to me. Point B for the parent is, ah, my kid's going to be okay. It's not perfect, but we've got a handle on this. Mm -hmm. Now, point A for the kid is usually... I don't need this. I don't want help. I've got this. Leave me alone. Back off. Why don't you just trust me? The resistance. Um, who is the Seth guy? Um, I don't need to, I don't need a coach. I don't, I don't need help. Um, just let me do this one more semester. And point B is the turnaround. One thing that they have is different mindsets. Carol Dweck talks about growth mindset versus fixed. We have abundance mindsets versus limiting beliefs and so basically, they have to have a mindset, hey, I can do this, I'm, I'm worth it, I'm worth investing in myself, I know I don't like everything that I have to do for school, I don't have to get straight A's or be perfect, but I need to be able to do this for my life, I want to do this, I know I'm resistant, I have tools to work with resistance. So those are sort of mindset things, the, the self-talk in your child's head that's like, they have things to work on, and it's okay, and they're actively working on them. So that's the point B. That's mindsets that have shifted in the point B. But also in the point B, one thing that shifted is systems. They now have reliable systems for planning, whatever planner, calendar, or agenda system they use. It is a reliable system. They have a system of organizing their papers, whether it's binders or folders or whatever. They have a reliable system of managing their papers, knowing where they are and stuff like that. And, they, and, so, and there are other systems, but those are two big examples of a, what you might think of as a system. And then finally, when they're at point B, they've got decent habits and routines. So at point A, it's just so random. And it's like, I'll do some homework. You know, they, they really are pretty aimlessly trying to get some stuff done, unless they're totally resisting it. But here, um, they have some habits and they have some routines around doing the things that need to be done to uh, accomplish their goals. So that's sort of my A to B with parents, my A to B with kids. I want to play with that resistance stuff for a few minutes, if, if you don't mind, because I think that we've got some parents listening who are like, yeah, that. And resistance is not necessarily something that's come up in this podcast a lot. I think if people listen back, they'll know and recognize that actually it comes up a fair amount, but I don't think that specifically the word resistance has been used. Everyone's familiar with my wall of awful model. That's certainly resistance. But what is your perspective on resistance? How do you see it present itself most typically? And what strategies are you giving to kids and parents to help navigate that resistance? 
All right, so let's explore this more. So resistance, again, to start with, looks like what I was saying before in terms of, I don't want to, this is stupid, why do I have to do this? Leave me alone, get off my back, I've got this. I'm talking to the teacher tomorrow. The teacher must not have updated, excuses, the teacher must not have updated the grade book yet. It's, you know, I, I, I'm going in for lunch help. I swear I'm going to talk to them tomorrow. I swear they hate it when you email them, mom, don't email them, dad. So these are all forms, forms of resistance. Then we have the resistance of, self-starting. In executive function speak, it's called task initiation. It just means getting started, getting the train moving. Follow through, uh, which in executive function speak is called task persistence. So they can start, but the train is going to get derailed if you have a kid with ADHD. Some kids might be good starters, but not good task persisters and not good at the follow through and get off track. So then the question is, how do you restart? And then you have task completion, which just means finishing. And I always tell kids your homework's not finished until it's in the teacher's hand with your name on it. Because some of them think that it's finished when the activity of homework is done. But that doesn't mean that you finished executing executive function in terms of getting it back into the right folder, getting it out of the folder once you get to school, getting it into the inbox or the teacher's hand or whatever with your name on it. So you have resistance with starting, resistance with follow through, resistance with finishing. Uh, again, like I said, resistance with asking parents for help or letting parents help and a lot of homework battles over stuff like that. Resistance with going into the teacher and asking for help. Uh, one, another executive function thing is flexibility or shifting tasks. So maybe shifting from their hobby or gaming or social things into a mind frame where they're ready to focus and study and work on their homework. So there's all sorts of ways that this resistance shows up. Basically, if you're a parent and you're listening and you're wondering, well, how can I know if it's resistance? If, if your child is trying to get something important done and something is in the way, something is blocking it, there's a brick there of some sort, that's resistance. Just trust your gut and listen to that. Now, the good news is, we talked about strategies, if you know that this is resistance and you can expect it and you, as a parent, you're not shocked and surprised, oh my gosh, this is happening again, but you promised me this way. You know, you have to understand that this will not fix itself. When I'm working with kids, it takes a long time to create a transformation. This is not a weekend seminar thing. This is not an overnight matter. Now, I do get a couple of kids here and there who, you know, I can work with them for um, maybe a semester. And really, these are kids who are ready. They take what I teach them, they run with it, and that happens. But that's not the norm with kids with ADHD. No, typically I find that the older the kid, the more likely we are to have that significant shift. Usually college age is when that stuff starts to happen every now and then with a high school kid. And generally with my clients, it's either a huge change right away that then peters out and we kind of almost go back to where we were and then we start building or it's just a slow building process. I like to, with my clients, I like to talk about making things 10% better. That's it. I talk about the 1% rule, but the theory behind both of ours are exactly the same. I talk about baby steps. Yep. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. And the 1% rule. I see the same thing. The way that I describe the same thing you're talking about is that occasionally we get an epiphany or like a big giant shift. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, this is definitely different. 
but I am not searching for that. I am not working for that. That is not the norm. If you get that, you're lucky. You know, right. the, the stars have aligned and the brain has developed to a certain extent. The motivation or willingness to try these things has changed. You know, whatever is lined up and it's happened. Great. Run with it. Get as much as you can out of it. But the, when those big shifts happen, which is, again, not what I'm looking for, when they happen, I believe they're a result of a million micro successes along the way. I agree. And we've planted so many little seeds, you know, and just like I plant, actually plant, I live in Colorado. It's very dry here and very hot in the summer. I planted grass seed back there. A lot of the grass seed didn't even come up, but some of it did. And I had to keep watering, watering, watering the lawn for even some of it to come up. Like be patient. Like the micro successes are everything. And part of my secret sauce, and probably Brendan's too, is noticing it when I'm working with a coaching client. So literally, if I notice something like a kid who never puts their name on their paper, put their name on a paper, that's a success. But as a coach, I better notice that. And I'm like, dude, you just put your name on the paper. Awesome. Like it may be a small little compliment, but I make sure that that is reinforced. And I'm being sincere. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not like, Finally, you put your name on the paper. I'm like, dude, awesome. That actually is success. I'm proud of you. Or even as something as simple as if like a kid with significant anxiety, right? You've been hiding in your room and crying for the past two weeks. Today, you just hid in your room and you weren't crying. That's still a success. That's still forward momentum, even though it's less negative as opposed to more positive. That still counts as growth and change and success. Yes. And you and I and the parents are on the outside of that human being. So it is our job to notice and reflect those back to those kids so that they can even be aware of it. Because if they aren't aware of it, wow, we just missed a great opportunity for them. Because like what you just said, that's a big change. Mm -hmm. And if that momentum can keep going, then you can have other micro changes. You, you know, you run with but sometimes parents will say, well, how long should my kid be working in a focused manner? And is Pomodoro technique valid? And I'm like, sure, it's valid. It's very valid for people who have decent executive function already. But for these kids, like I tell my kids, if they're motivated for an hour and 17 minutes, you better keep going. Like, and they're like, can I take a break now? I'm like, sure, you can take a break. But if you don't have to, keep going because I know these kids because it's me too. Yep. It'll derail you. That break might derail you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the train's got some momentum, let's keep going. But if they need to, a break, take a break. But what you and I want to do is help them self-regulate that, help them be the person who's noticing that with it so that they have tools to know, to reflect on themselves eventually. And they can be like, oh, I could keep going or, oh, I really need a break and know when they're lying to themselves and the break is resistance and they're like, oh, I, I could take a break. I'm going to play Minecraft for five minutes, but they know they never play Minecraft or whatever. So our job is to help them develop reflection is one of the things and self-honesty. And One of the ways I do that is I'll encourage kids to tell their parents or parents to sometimes even tell their kids about times when they want to do something that's a bad choice, but don't when they're able to inhibit that. Because if my kid gets the urge to shove his brother or his sister and doesn't actually shove their brother or sister, I don't know that they wanted to. 
I don't know that they inhibited that response. And so I'm not giving them credit. And then when they finally do push their sister, I'm like, what are you doing pushing your sister? I think my kid's terrible. When my kid resisted pushing his sister 15 times today, and he didn't get any credit for any of that because I didn't know. And it's first, it's weird. So kids are kind of, some kids are really into that. They're like, really? I get to tell you when I want to push my sister. If I don't, yeah, please do. Or I get to tell you if I want to swear and I don't, yeah, please do. And I'm not going to get in trouble. Nope. You didn't do it. What are you going to get in trouble about? And that sort of encouragement and sometimes married with like a, I don't know, tokens in a jar or something, maybe they're earning a reward, but it also encourages that self-reflection that you're talking about in a way that feels a little more concrete for kids. Yeah. I think that's so important. Like I said, that's part of my secret sauce, part of yours. It's like, like you said, it's reflection and that's part of executive function too, is being able to reflect, but this is an opportunity to help them reflect on something that they normally wouldn't even, and then to connect the dot that that's inhibition, but inhibiting a thought or an action or a word is part of executive function. And you've mentioned executive function a couple of times now, just in case we have any new listeners. How would you define executive function? What is this? What is that concept? Okay, so I just mentioned uh, inhibitions part of it, organization, time management, uh, focus, attention, concentration. So executive function uh, takes place in the front part of the brain, the front third of your brain behind your forehead. Big part of your brain, it helps you to execute tasks that are important to execute on or that are not important. So you might look at your kid and be like, wow, if they want to execute video games, they know where to find their stuff. They know how to self-start. They know how to figure out how to get everything turned on. Execution has to do with getting stuff done. Now, in the kids that we're working with, execution usually has to do with things like this. They have to execute on getting homework done. They have to execute on writing papers, uh, legitimate studying, organizing their backpacks, organizing their desks, doing their chores, organizing their bedrooms, putting their clothes away when they become teenagers, uh, if they want to get a driver's license, there are many small steps to get that one little card. So execution means that we are executing on complex tasks. We're trying to get something important done. When I break it into two categories for parents, Brendan, the two categories is schoolwork and responsibilities. Those are two very broad categories that have most of the things that we're worried about. Are they executing when they're um, doing a pickup game of basketball or when they're doing an art project with a friend or when they're gaming. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not concerned about that. We're concerned with schoolwork and responsibilities. If your child does not figure out how to execute good enough executive function, meaning it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a linear, sequential, organized, highly organized person. But if you have good enough executive function, you can get the stuff done that needs to get done. If you don't have good enough executive function, you are not going to be able to achieve your goals in life. You'll struggle with relationships, you'll struggle with career, you'll struggle with finances, and most kids will eventually figure it out. But when we don't really sort of empower kids to figure out how to execute, and it doesn't matter if you use a coach or not, or if you call it execution or not. When kids don't figure out how to inhibit or organize or manage time or use the calendar or set goals and accomplish goals and follow through and get through the resistance and do all these things, if they don't do that, they're going to delay what I call the launch. Yeah, because in a lot of ways, executive function is really adulting, as that has been verbed of late, right? Adult skills, 
being responsible and all of those kinds of things that we really want for our kids. One of the challenges with ADHD is ADHD is a developmental disorder. So when it comes to these executive functionings, they're lagging behind developmentally. They are lagging behind their peers. So your 14-year-old is not performing at the same level of their fellow 14-year-olds when it comes to executive function. They might execute more along the lines of an 11 or 12-year-old. Yeah, and it will continue to develop until they're 25 or 30 years old, which is good news because a lot of parents, particularly when kids are uh, in middle school and parents are going, oh my gosh, my kid used to get all A's and B's and now they're getting a bunch of D's and F's and they get really worried really fast and they're like, what's going to happen to my kid when they're 30? But the brain does continue to develop. However, if you have a coach or a program or you understand executive function or you support the kid's executive function in a conscious, mindful, thoughtful way, you are going to be helping them to develop their executive function better. And one way to help support our kids' executive function development is the Executive Function Online Summit, which is something that you're organizing you've invited me to be on as a guest, and that's coming up soon. So I would love to have you sort of walk the audience through what that looks like. What's, gonna, what's it going to be about? When's it going to happen? How can they become a part of this to get some strategies and skills for their kids? Sure. So I'll kind of nerd out on this a little bit. So the reason I, this might sound kind of cheesy, but the reason I do what I do is because I am a mission-driven person. I was that kid. I almost failed out of high school. I failed out of college. I dropped out of a second college. Um, I hated Seth, perceived myself as a lazy failure. That was my internal dialogue. My inner critic called me a lazy failure. I did not think I would be capable of accomplishing any of my goals. And this started in first grade when I started getting progress reports that said lazy, does not try, unmotivated, needs to work harder and stuff like this. And I internalized that. And I had to overcome a lot. And I, I really didn't overcome it until after I had failed out of the second college and really like I was willing to do anything. And I suffered for years and I really struggled and I still struggle with stuff. But now I may struggle, but be like, oh yeah, I got some struggles with this. For example, the conference here, all the putting all the moving pieces together, but I will figure it out and I will persist and I will overcome my resistance and I will ask for help and yada, yada. And one of the questions that's always going in the back of my head is how can I make more of an impact during the short life I have? You know, I figure I'm, I'm 48 and probably over halfway through my life. Like, I want to make an impact. And that's important to me. And my thing is this, executive function. I want the, part of my mission is I want the world to know this. So, um, so I make an impact by doing my coaching with individual families. I make an impact by, I do a weekly video blog and I have courses and what have you. But these online summits that have been popping up, I love them. And whenever I want to learn something, I like to immerse myself into a community of people who are doing that thing. It's very mission driven for me was to create this conference where people, teachers and other professionals will be there, but it is designed specifically for parents to immerse these families in experts for a weekend so that when they walk away from it, they're going to be like, whoa, I get it. That's my objective is to absolutely saturate you in executive function concepts. Now, what's been super cool about this conference is different experts have different models for different aspects of executive function. You'll walk away saying, wow, they all said the same thing in a million different ways, but I really understand as a parent 
my own ways that I liked the experts talking. And I can really sink my teeth into some useful principles and concepts and ideas to better help my kid have a good life. I am super stoked about this, everybody. You should be. This is no joke. This is a huge undertaking. And it's incredibly impressive that you're putting it together. So you should be stoked. When is the conference? Uh, August 23rd through 25th. So the first day, Friday, you'll be, I think there'll be about seven speakers. Saturday, you'll have access to about seven. Sunday, you'll have access to about seven. After that, I'll uh, allow access to the entire thing. And then if you want to buy it, you can buy the whole collection with bonuses and what have you. But but the whole thing is free for those days. Just get in there, block out time to get saturated in as many of these concepts as you can. And repeat those dates one more time. August 23rd through 25th. So that is next week for those of you who are listening. So go to executivefunctionsummit.com, executivefunctionsummit.com, and just click, read it, click one of the buttons, and it's uh, just pop your email in there. And for those of you who are sick of hearing about the wall of awful from me, it comes up in what Seth and I discussed, but it's by no means the only thing that we talk about. I kind of, I went all over the place when we spoke. So there will be concepts and ideas that come up in, in mind that you have not heard before. It's not a situation where if you've listened to this podcast and you've been to my attitude webinars and stuff, you already know it. There's plenty of stuff in there that is, should be new to you. I'm excited about the summit. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I know I'm going to be listening because I still have new things to learn about executive function and just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? The most important thing to me of all, and the last slide of every presentation I ever do in public is called the most important thing. And the most important thing to me is your relationship with your kid. That trumps everything. So if you forget everything Brendan and I ever say, always go back to we want to have a healthy and securely attached relationship. Very important. A secure relationship with someone in your life is a relationship where you feel like they get you. They see you. They hear you. They understand. An insecure relationship, which is the anxious and avoidant generally, is a relationship that you have with somebody where you don't feel like they see you. You don't feel like they get you. They don't hear you. They don't understand you. Or they sometimes do. But it's definitely not what you would call secure, where you know they've got your back. You know they get you. Maybe they don't understand everything about you, but they try. And you know, you know. so that's, what the, that's the type of relationship you want to have with your kid. Whether you have it now or not, that's what you're working towards, is to have a secure attachment where your child feels like, you know what, my mom or my dad, they get on my nerves sometimes, they bug me, but you know what, I know they love me, I know they've got my back, and that is a securely attached relationship. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need. Thank you.